Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Ellen Quinlan. Ellen is the executive director of the Darbster Foundation, whose mission is to reduce the number of adoptable cats, kittens, dogs, and puppies that are being euthanized in Palm Beach County and South Florida. They are able to achieve this mission by partnering with animal shelters and rescue groups in the South Florida area to transport homeless pets to our facilities in New Hampshire and to other rescue partners throughout New England. Ellen, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having us here, Stacy. Well, it's actually so funny because the reason I reached out to you is because I saw your van driving on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad the wrath has paid off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So here's a promotion for your signage on your vehicles, definitely. If you have a vehicle, make sure you have some clear signage. I'm driving up 93 in New Hampshire, and I saw your, saw your van up there, so... <laughs> but anyway, so Ellen, I wanted to find out more about how you got involved with animal welfare and, you know, developed your passion for helping cats and dogs. We probably developed at a very young age. I was one of those kids that always brought home every stray animal that I saw. And then it, it just kind of continued on with life. So I actually lived in New Hampshire for about 18 years. I went to school at St. Anselm and while living in New Hampshire, I did some fostering of cats for the Friends of the Manchester Animal Shelter. And then in 2003, I ended up uh, relocating to South Florida. And I was still in the pension business. So I had employees still up in the New Hampshire area. So while down here in Florida, I continued fostering and, and taking care of homeless cats and kittens where the situation was much worse down here. It was just tremendous. And in Palm Beach County alone, we have close to a half a million um, stray cats and kittens at any given time. So it would always happen that employees that would be in New Hampshire, when they would come down to the home office here in Florida, they would want to adopt a kitten or that they would know somebody that wanted to adopt a kitten. So we kind of started adopting kittens out up in New Hampshire, I would say in maybe 2013 or so. And it, it got to the point where it became apparent that there, there may actually be a need for transport up to that area. So I made phone calls to most of the shelters in New Hampshire to see if any wanted to partner where, you know, we would pay for the transport and then they would take them in. And there didn't seem to be a lot of interest in that. So at that point, we decided if we were going to do this, we were going to have to probably do it on our own. So we ended up buying a facility in Manchester, New Hampshire, and you know, getting licensed with the DOA in the state. And we kind of took it on ourselves and officially started this in, in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then you formed yourself as a nonprofit, but yet you also have sort of a for-profit arm involved on both sides. Within Manchester, I believe there's a boarding facility involved and then 
down in Florida, there's a restaurant involved. I, I don't know if you want to explain that relationship. Yeah, we. Um, I'm in the I'm in the pension administration business, which probably doesn't mean much to people who are listening to this podcast. Um, but I also happen to be a vegan, as is my husband. So in in 2009, we opened a vegan restaurant called Darbster uh, down in West Palm Beach, Florida. And when we opened it, we figured, hey, if this place makes a profit, what are we going to do with the money? Because we didn't, we live off the pension businesses that we run. So we decided at that point to form Darbster Foundation. So profits that the restaurant makes and a portion of profits from the businesses we also run go in to fund the Darbster Foundation. Up until 2014 or 15, when we embarked on the transport, we were actively involved in funding a lot of spay neuter programs down here in Florida. So the Darbster Foundation has been in business since 2009. So we're, we're coming up on 10 years next year. And yeah, it's a little bit different. We do obviously take public donations, but a lot of our funding is self-generated through businesses that are run by us. Well, you know, wearing the executive director's hat, from my perspective, you must actually feel a great sense of relief knowing that, yes, you still have to fundraise. You still have to do fundraising activities, I'm sure. But yet you do have this other stream of income coming in. Yeah, it, it's nice to... I personally would rather run a business that makes some money and spend my time doing that than going out knocking on doors fundraising. That being said, you know, recently we have added a gentleman to our board, Victor, who his title is director of development. It's an unpaid position, but um, he's absolutely fantastic at raising money, but it just, it was never my comfort zone. So it's, it's kind of nice to have both streams coming together at this point. Right. And you don't want all of your sort of eggs in one basket, or I guess I shouldn't say eggs with vegan, but anyway, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah. You know, they, they always say don't have all of your income stream coming from one source, because if for some reason something were to happen and that, that income stream was going to stop, then you, you would fall apart. You, you made a, a quick comment though in there. You said that you were doing a lot of spay neuter funding up until 2015. Did you change that or are you doing more of that or continuing that? We still continue to do a lot of spay neuter donations, but what's actually happened down here in South Florida is some of the landscape has changed and a couple of the big shelters that we've worked with down here that we previously supported in their efforts to do fund spay neuter have gotten large grants from um, PetSmart Charities and Best Friends, so they haven't needed that money like they had in the past. Right. And that's key phrase that you just said there, which is changing landscape. And I think that is very important when we're looking at our programs in any of our communities is understanding what's happening, what's changing with the other organizations, what sort of money is coming into the community to help support fund different programs so that then we can, you know, be nimble and adjust our resources to where it's where it's needed in in other ways. And I think that's a question that a lot of us up here in New England are asking is the changing landscape. For cats in New England, cats and kittens, the landscape is cha changing. Certainly shelters are getting cats and kittens in, especially we're talking it's the middle of July right now, so they're certainly getting local cats and kittens, but yet 
organizations are bringing cats and kittens up from the South into New England, well, you know, you know, on a very regular basis, I don't even know if you are transporting up in the summertime, but it seems like New England can handle a higher population of, of cats and kittens being transported up from different areas. Now, some organizations aren't so sure that might be, that's a great idea or, or not. And we need to be sort of reactive and, and, and understanding of that. But I can, I can say from Massachusetts perspective, I know quite a few small organizations as obviously as well as large organizations that are bringing in a lot of cats and kittens. Are you continuing to bring cats and kittens into New England throughout the summer months too? We are. And, you know, I'm very cognizant of the fact that we definitely don't want to displace animals that are native to New England. So when we first actually started this, we did do a survey where we actually looked at every shelter in New Hampshire and saw how many cats and kittens they all had because we didn't want to bring cats and kittens into an area that already had enough cats and kittens because we see that in Florida a lot. We see people bringing dogs and puppies in from states like Georgia and Arkansas where we still are, have an open admission kill shelter here. So these puppies and dogs are, you know, basically causing dogs here to get put down because we don't have room to take them. So we wanted to be very careful of that when we um, opened in New Hampshire. And we, we still do take them. We also take any animal back that we've adopted out. So... We certainly don't want to cause any stress on any other shelters in the area, um, but our adoptions have not slowed down a bit. They keep going, and we actually now are getting requests from other shelters in New Hampshire and Massachusetts where they're willing to take in transports from South Florida as well because their populations are, are low. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that there are a lot of challenges with regards to the transport rules and what you have to do to have your, your cats, you know, go into the state. I don't know if you want to touch upon. I know there's, we could probably talk for about five hours about all the various different transport rules, um, out there and various paperwork, but maybe just to, you know, our listeners to understand that, you know, it's not just, throwing a bunch of cats and carriers back in the back, in the back of a U-Haul and saying, Hey, let's go on a road trip. There's just a lot more involved. So maybe walk us through what a, what a cat transport would look like. Sure. Sure. Um, usually we do kittens and we'll, uh, you know, a typical transport, maybe 16 to 20 animals. And down here in Florida, we make sure that the animals are fixed down here because this area gets so many grants from big charities that the cost to get a kitten or a cat fixed down here is about $30. It's a lot less than it is in New England. So the cats are fixed. If they're over 12 weeks old, they have a rabies shot. Every cat is dewormed and has a negative fecal before it leaves here. They're all snap tested, which means that they're tested for FIV and FELV. And they're usually given at least two booster shots before they leave here. So they leave with here with the medical records and a health certificate signed by a veterinarian um, stating that all of this has transpired. Then they get to Florida. We fly them on Delta. 
Um, and when they arrive in Florida, they arrive in Manchester or arrive in Boston. We drive them to Manchester and then they um, have a 48 hour quarantine period. And after the quarantine period, they're given an examination by a veterinarian in New Hampshire, and then they're issued a New Hampshire health certificate as well. They've been through a lot by the time that they get adopted in terms of making sure that they're healthy and they're not bringing anything into the state that could um, disrupt the, the regular population there. It's interesting you fly them up because I do know that there's been a lot of conversation about creating sort of a, like a way station, different way stations, you know, as animals make their way up the coast or from other parts of the country, because I guess you can only be on the road for so many hours in transport, and then you have to unpack them and, you know, put them in cages and feed and water them and walk the dogs and that kind of thing. So it seems like the, the flying would cut those hours down quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, in the winter months, we're fortunate that we have a direct flight to Boston. So literally the time that they're in transit is probably seven or eight hours as opposed to a road trip, which would be 30 hours and really stressful typically on cats and kittens. So by cutting that time almost by 75%, I think we, they stay healthier. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. <coughs> the Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Question for sort of what, what's it like down in the West Palm Beach area now? You've talked about a lot of spay-neuter money that's come into the community. Are the shelters seeing the numbers of cats and kittens going into the shelters? Are, are they going down? Are they doing more return-to-field programs, more TNR going on? You know, are you seeing any changes since like 2009? Yeah, there's there's a lot of positive changes going on. There is a lot more return to field, which with that, you know, comes a lot of internal argument as to, you know, whether this cat should be returned because he or she's friendly. You know, you do run into that, but it does help to reduce the numbers and the the numbers in terms of live releases overall have improved dramatically. And we first got involved down here, the live release number was about 29%. And now we're up to about 65%. So there's still a, a ways to go, but it, it, you know, we are making a lot of progress. So looking at the numbers, you say you fly up anywhere, is it 16 to 20 animals sort of in one trip? So you do cats and dogs or would you do just cats alone? Just cats alone. Cats alone. So on an annual basis, it, what's the Darbster Foundation? How are, how many cats or kittens and kittens are you actually transporting up and, and adopting out? Yeah. Well, in 2000, I'll give you the numbers. 2015, we did 231 because we started about partway through that year. 16, we did 673. 2017, we started partnering with a few other shelters and our number went up to 1163. 
And this year, year to date, we're at about 700. And again, we're still working in forming relationships with other shelters. So the numbers continue to increase. Oh, that's fantastic. And when you have a relationship with another shelter, how does that work? It depends. You know, one one other shelter that we work with in New Hampshire, they help us a little bit with the transport cost. A couple of the shelters in Massachusetts will actually pay the flight cost. And then there's another shelter we work with where we, we fund the cost to send them there. So it, it kind of is on a case-by-case situation depending on how well-funded they are and, and what they want to do. And so you do the isolation and then the shelter will come and pick up the cats and kittens after you've done the isolation in Manchester? No, they actually are doing their own quarantine. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Very interesting. We could do that. We just, we haven't been asked to. Mm -hmm. Um, So we haven't offered it up, (laughs) but it's something that, you know, we, we could certainly do. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic for some shelters that that quarantine component is something that can be challenging for some organizations. So that's why they're not necessarily registered to transfer in from out of state. So it, it is somewhat of a question. I would say it's maybe less of a question than it was a couple of years ago. It seems like more organizations have been approved as a, I guess I would call them a receiving organization. There's the, that list is a lot longer. It used to be a pretty short list way, way back in the days with Hurricane Katrina. That list was probably five, five or less organizations, you know, that at least in Massachusetts that could take in for, for Katrina. And that's where a lot of our transport conversations started back with, with Katrina and the dogs. And then, um, you know, and we've now morphed through this. And the one thing I'd say that from the cat world is that we want to learn from the transport issues that we've had with dogs and, and understand that transport is going to have to happen for cats, but we want to make sure that you know, mistakes aren't being made and that we are trying to work as collaboratively as possible. Do you feel that happening for cats? Do you feel any differences between cat and dog transport or is it sort of just the same? Oh, I think there's a big difference. Uh, we're actually opening a dog facility in Chichester, New Hampshire this summer. The, but the cat quarantine um, really for us is is kind of it's not difficult because we've got a two-story facility. So basically the bottom uh, floor of the facility is, is for quarantine. So it's set up pretty nicely for the cats. And we try to make it as comfortable as possible for them. You know, they've got big cages, you know, we play music and it is only 48 hours. So that's that hasn't been a challenge. The challenge tends to be when you get a cat that that makes it into the state and then it it breaks with something like ringworm or you know the cats that you really stuck taking care of medically for for a month or two. Those tend to be our more challenging moments. Mhm. Right, right. Yeah, because then you have to go into a different isolation protocol and that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and everything revolves hundreds or thousands of moving parts. And so when, when the, the cog slows down, it doesn't mean the other parts slow down, <laughs> you know? And so that, that can become very challenging. Yeah. That's been a challenge. The other challenge has been is, um, veterinary services, you know, down here in Florida, we're so used to dealing with clinics and rescue type vets and, you know, vets that can do a spay neuter in eight minutes and, you 
it's a whole different world up in New England. It, it's much more household pet oriented and not rescue oriented. So that's been a, a learning experience for us as well. Mm, yeah, I'm just trying to, I mean, there are a couple of low cost clinics in New Hampshire, but they're probably not necessarily super, they're not in Manchester or put it that way. Yeah. And so, yeah, but it, it, it is interesting how that, uh, and a lot of, I would say there are some, some animals that go into Massachusetts to the high volume clinics in Massachusetts and use those because there are quite a few in Massachusetts for spaying and neutering, but yet the pricing is not $30, uh, you yeah. know, a cat. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, if you're a resident of Chelsea, you could get it for free, but that's just, that's a program that I've been running. So, and, um, when I ran my mobile spay neuter clinics, the two cat mobiles that they were in Southern New Hampshire, as well as all in Eastern Massachusetts, we had low cost pricing, but we still, you know, we did $30 for a feral cat, but we were at 75 when we first started out for, you know, the package. So we didn't, we couldn't get it down that far. Yeah. Well, these, these down here are all co-funded by, you know, big charities that basically underwrite the whole thing. So it's a, it's a different situation. Yeah. Well, PetSmart Charities has been put a lot of money into Massachusetts in the early days, and that that was great. For about three years, we had free spay neuter in the city of Lowell, funded by PetSmart Charities, and they used to have the Beat the Heat and uh, program, which was like the month of February. There's been a lot of money that's come into Massachusetts in the past, and that's one of the reasons why the numbers changed so much in the shelters. Was once that PetSmart Charities mo- money started coming in in 2008 and 2009, that's when things changed. When we started spaying and neutering the owned cats and the community that that's when things changed. We were doing trap neuter return. We had the free Sunday spay neuter clinics, monthly clinics starting in 2000, and it was not impacting our uh, shelter numbers in any way. So it wasn't until we got into that, that owned cat community and getting the really low cost or free spay neuter in there that you'd see incredible drops in the numbers happening. Yeah. It's nice to see. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's, I mean, it's funny because, you know, we all say, you know, in our, in, you know, for folks that have been doing this for so many years, we never thought we would be having these conversations, you know, about, you know, our shelters are low on cats and kittens. And so now more private veterinarians are seeing and our, our clinics are seeing kittens sourced from Craigslist online. And they're not, and, the, and you ask them, well, how, why did you get your kitten off of Craigslist? And they said, because I called all the shelters and they didn't have any. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a different world. I mean, down here though, we still say, if you want a cat, you just open your door and you say, Hey, kitty, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, but one day we will get to where you guys are in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. <laughs> well, and I think so. I mean, I, I do believe so. I, you know, many people think, well, we have the harsh winters and that kind of thing, but I, I definitely believe with enough affordable spay neuter in the community that it'll be successful. And the other thing that I've always wondered about with regards to the transport is the part, you know, partnership is making it more than just about the transport, you know, and sharing resources and support and, and that kind of thing. And I'm, a, I think it's good because it's a collaborative effort. So you get to know what's going on at the other shelters too. You wouldn't otherwise have that communication with them. And I think it's so good for us to participate collaboratively. Yeah, we do. We do that as well. Like, you know, we were, we used to, this is just a small example, but we used to run fecals when they would, you know, enter 
New Hampshire and would make sure the FIFA was cleared and the vet would issue the health certificate then. But we subsequently learned that a couple of the other shelters, instead of running fecals, they were actually just treating uh, using Panacare and Ponzarel for three days. And the state accepts that. And I, I think we're going to move to that model. But you do learn things from other shelters that you wouldn't have learned if you didn't work with them. Right. So, Ellen, if folks are interested in finding out more about Darbster Foundation or and the work that you're doing, how would they do that? We have a website. It's uh, darbsterkitty.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. And our other website is darbsterfoundation.com. And we have darbsterdog.com. So those those three websites and all of the Facebook pages associated with them can give you plenty of information. And then the restaurant, whenever we're on holiday in West Palm, it's Darbster. Yeah, it's Darbster. Yeah. So definitely come on in. Any money you spend, any profits we have will go right back to the foundation. That's fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Uh, just keep a lookout for, for Darbster Dog opening this summer. And, you know, on the horizon, we are hoping to possibly open up a, a small vet clinic at the Darbster Dog place up in Chichester within the next year or so and, and hope to do some lower cost vet care, spay, neuter things like that. That's excellent. Well, you'll have to keep us updated on that. So, um, Ellen, I want to thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on in the future when you, when you've opened up the new clinic. Thank you so much, Stacy. It was great talking to you. I want to hear from you what the Community Cats podcast means to you. You can now leave a recorded testimonial on the Community Cats podcast website and share your thoughts about the show. You can also ask questions, share show ideas, pretty much anything you want. Just go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on the testimonial link and record. You hear from me all the time, and now I want to hear from you. Thank you. Ah!